Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Snapshot episode 40. I'm Brendan Patrick, joined always by Marvel Snap Phenom Cam Best. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about the release of Mobius, recent OTA uh, buffs and nerfs, as well as the upcoming cards for the month of October. Cam, your week in Marvel Snap, sir. Uh, my week in Marvel Snap was abbreviated. For those who are unaware, I was dealing with some pretty heavy personal issues that caused me to not stream for three days, which is kind of the longest time off I've pretty much ever taken. Um, but I am back and I am grinding, just trying to figure out what remains good in this intriguing little meta and preparing, of course, for Elsa Bloodstone. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> How do you feel... I know you said you had to take a little bit of time off in this minute. How did you feel it sort of landed with the release of Mobius? Where do you feel like, and of course, in the context of OTAs as well, where do you feel the Loki decks lie at the at the time of us speaking here? So on the Sunday prior to the release of, um, of Bloodstone. Still good. No longer the best deck in the game, probably. Mm -hmm. What would you... Um, but still, still good. What do you tap is the best deck in the game right now? Uh, if you made me pick something, I'd probably just say, just go play Shuri. Mm -hmm. Just just go play like Shuri Sauron. Just go do that. It's it's fine. Like, go, go, go double your power and mm. get people with it. Go nuts. Interesting. How do you feel with us uh, talking last week, obviously, about Loki's dominance and sort of the the power level of the card from just a, a fundamental game design perspective? And we talked about, you know, the meta sort of maybe overstaying its welcome a bit, but us now circling back to potentially Shuri being the best deck, kind of full circle back. Well, to why do you think it is? Why do you why do you think I said Shuri? Um, I'm not sure. Why did you say Shuri? So when you look at the like, there are probably four decks that I like right now. Mm -hmm. It's Shuri, it's Loki, it's Move, and it's Brood. And of those decks, the only one that doesn't still lose to Loki when they just go Collector Loki into you, and you have like a more and you don't have a Mobius, or even if you do have a Mobius, sometimes is Shuri. Mm -hmm. So like like what the reason I like Shuri right now is because it was already pretty close into beating Loki. And now with Mobius, it is further into beating Loki. Whereas the move and the brood decks, like A, they really need to play Mobius. Mm -hmm. And B, even if they do that, you still can lose to Collector Loki. And so it's like, it's like, okay, these decks are good, but they were much worse into Loki. And adding Mobius doesn't mean they're favored into Loki now. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, Okay, let's take that and then say, like, you know, look at Shuri. Let's say Shuri was like, you know, 48% into Loki, maybe even 50%. Now I would say it's probably favored, right? Like now it's actually like, okay, this is a favored matchup. Whereas with the move in the brood decks, I, I actually don't know if that's true. Uh, they are kind of good into Loki, but like as the Loki player, it's like, all right, well, I, you could play that Mobius. I'm going to collect your Loki you and then just play your cards, right? Like, and if you're playing that Mobius, it means you're not going Forge Brood, which is kind of the thing you want to do. You want to get all these points out to contest me. Uh, and if you can't do that, I might be able to do it better anyway, just by getting your cards. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was exactly what we predicted last week prior to the release of Mobius and how it would affect the meta is that it would be a good card to draw against Loki, uh, but the Loki decks will still absolutely 
stomp you be very favored into you when you do not draw it on a curve and if you do they can mm-hmm. probably still win which is not it's just you'd rather be the loki yeah. deck in that situation every single time yes yeah like i think actually loki's like getting to the point where it's a little underplayed <laughs> but i also think that like people have to totally adjust how they play it uh like you have to like be more aggressive now you can't just be like well my deck is better i can do whatever i want right mm-hmm. like uh you it's a real deck now as opposed to like this high flying absolutely fantastical completely absurd pile of garbage (laughs) how do you feel as as a player and a person that's grinding ladder so heavily optimizing your deck um game to game how do you feel about potentially switching over to a deck like shuri versus a deck like loki we talked about skill expression um in a deck like loki and where you know the sort of the skill ceiling on the deck was very high did feel like you could outplay a lot of your opponents um how do you feel about switching over to a deck like shuri do you find it to be less interesting don't jerk yourself off about skill expression would be my advice Mm -hmm. i think that good players tend to like like here's here's a magic example um blue white control in like modern or something where it's just like i i guess i actually my 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 magic info is outdated Mm -hmm. (laughs) but As of four years ago, like there's just like a bunch of like very copium high decision decks in a lot of these formats where you feel like you're doing skill expression, but actually the the better skill would be a better deck selection process so that you don't end up on this crap. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that Kano is like that in Flesh and Blood. I'm going to go out on a limb. Is is Kano that. the most intellectual deck in Flesh and Blood, the hardest to play? Yes. Is Do you pick Kano because you are trying to be, I don't know, different than other players and I guess uh, a bit of a hipster, maybe? I think I think if you play Kano at a major tournament like a Pro Tour of the World, you are just a cooler person. <laughs> Speaking of jerking so, yourself yes, off. So, you yes, are, you are jerking yourself <laughs> off, right? That's, um, that's what you do. But, <laughs> like, like don't, don't play decks that dirt the don't play decks that jerk you off all right play good decks yeah but in all like, seriousness i think i would say in all seriousness yeah. there is a balance between playing decks that uh at, at, at tournaments even at pro tour and world championship level that um if you genuinely don't like the play pattern of a deck and specifically the play pattern of two decks interacting that you think you'll be facing a majority of the time yes. so in like a homogenous meta you're like you don't like the aggro here because you feel like it's coin flippy and although another deck might be statistically worse you feel like as a player you can have more of a agency and an edge and ultimately it won't matter because the percents are so small hold on though hold on though i want to stop you there Mm -hmm. i want to stop you there because you're describing vague feelings and i think if you're going to make a call like that you need to have very specific ones you need to be able to say something other than oh well i think this deck is you know not good into this matchup but i can skill diff it you need to be able to tell me why Right. You need to be able to tell me like like, for example, an example I'll use here is, you know, Loki versus High Eva. Right. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to tell me, oh, well, that matchup's actually really Loki favorite as long as you know what you're doing. And here's how it works. Right. Because you just want to drop the Loki on four. You're just going to get him anyway. Right. You need to be able to say that because you need to have a specific ethos for why you think you can use deck number two to beat that matchup for what specific game plans are happening there you need to have something more than just i feel like uh the mirrors are coin flippy so i'm gonna play something else you need to have a compelling ethos for what that something else is. yeah i think there's a and right now i think 
I cannot find a compelling ethos for like, uh, yeah, I told, I don't want to play like you look, uh, if you want to play like move or something so you can feel like you're smarter, <laughs> go off. But I feel like rude or Shuri will likely do you a little bit better. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and you're like, oh, the mirrors are coin flippy. Yeah, man, they're mirrors. Yeah, <laughs> so, they kind of always are. It doesn't extend as much into ladder, but it's more of a tournament, uh, kind of a tournament conundrum, I guess. Is like I would find myself. I'd much rather be on the deck that beats the deck rather than the deck showing up to a tournament where people are preparing and know that I have a target on my back. Um, I'd rather. Yeah, be, I'd rather abstractly, be the yeah. yes. But like, what if the deck that beats the deck it has like a forty percent win rate in other matchups, and the deck has like a sixty percent win rate? You're kind of an idiot for not playing it. I'm sorry. Like, yeah, there's a threshold. Right? I don't there, there's a threshold right, like there's, in which it's just threshold. correct to play the deck. Um, and I agree yeah. with you. Uh, for a flesh and blood like, example, we were past that threshold, right? It was better to play Loki than try to beat it. Yeah, like it, it, we were past that threshold for a very like significant. Like it was better to play Loki than it was to play Cerebro three. Even a Cerebro three beat the shit out of that. <laughs> Like it was better to be be the Loki deck. Yeah, and we also talked about the volatility with some pair downs. If you played something like C three and paired down um, yes. on ladder and face some sort of bad matchup, awful. Yeah, right. And it's just like 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 that. Like there 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 is a threshold at which it's just like all right. Like look, it's not efficient to try to counter this. <laughs> like it's just not the best use of not even your time. It's just like there isn't a good one. Like, that's and like we were past that for a while and I, I just feel like I feel like basically people need to understand that context is the only thing that matters the only thing that is important in evaluating your decisions is the context in which they were made and heuristics are you know they're almost like a backronym, right? Where you can look back at the decisions you made and then fit them into the heuristic, right? I I think what you need to do is just think about things as they are in the context that they exist and then go from there, right? I consider Shuri the best deck right now because there's a lot of things that are not going very tall and there's a very minimum amount of Shang-Chi and because Shuri is able to leverage extremely high power into a meta where most of the interaction is stuff like Eliath mm -hmm. and they are like you can go like Shuri vision things like that like there's just like a lot of awkward things going on most decks are not going bigger than 30 power like brood can sometimes rarely do that and most other decks like for example anything that would beat Shuri like you're looking at like a Zabu type thing yeah are getting held down by Loki, are getting held down by Brood, are getting held down by Move. Like the decks that would leverage counter cards like Shang-Chi to beat you do not most do not get to exist because there are these other decks, Loki, Brood, Move, that just farm them by either making Shang-Chi and Enchantress not real cards or by, you know, being Loki. <laughs> like there are there are a lot of bad spots to be in where like it, it we, we've gotten to a point where she's like let's just play a big guy i'm just gonna play a, one large man a very large man and it's gonna be okay 
Is uh is Shuri the deck that you plan to potentially start your climb with as a, as the ladder resets? Or are you looking at? I'm, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna play Elsa garbage, dude. Okay, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that later. Let's talk about the OTAs I'm play, first. I'm gonna play some Elsa garbage. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Let's talk about the OTAs here first. All right, so first off, Galactus from a six seven to a six five. What are your thoughts? Thank fucking god. Oh, god damn it, Cam. Come on. That was a bug. The card fucking sucks, dude. It sucks. It's the shittiest shit. They should delete it. It sucks. Get this fucking card out of here. I'm sorry. It's just like it whenever it's good, it's just like the one card I would imagine induces the most eye rolls. Mm. I know it does for me, but it's probably just like the biggest eye roll of all time in terms of just like, oh god, let's play a card here and hope they play the Galactus into the lane that I'm playing my card. What a fun and interactive game of Marvel Snap this is. I honestly do think he was a mistake. Uh, there was a hot take I didn't address. I did a hot mm -hmm. takes video. There's a hot take I didn't address from, I think, Delusion 1979, so shout out to you. Um... That was just like second dinner actually just wants to delete Galactus, but don't have the balls to do it. <laughs> and I don't think that's true, but I think they should want that. <laughs> I think that's how they should feel. I think I think they should feel like, oh, man, this this is not OK. I wonder if there's just a number that they're looking for in terms of win rate. And they just keep walking back the stats until they get there until they that is that is my understanding of what they're doing. Yeah, which which makes sense, because I mean. I like Galactus for reasons I've explained a lot of times on the podcast. I don't like him in every sense, right? He's not just like this, you know, can do nothing wrong card for me, but I like the way that he engages with the game, although it's toxic and one-sided. I like that it shakes it up a bit, uh, but I do think there's a it's threshold. It's a cool idea, right? Mm -hmm. It's a cool idea. The issue is that, like, the play pattern of either A, Electro, Hobgoblin, Galactus, Aliyah, right? That that specific play pattern is just like, oh my fucking god. And then the play pattern of Wave Galactus, also just insanely annoying. But I think I think actually Aliyah is a great way of illustrating why this card is annoying. Because when you look at Aliyah, Aliyah is fixed arrow, fixed leader, right? Like that's the idea. It's a priority deck game winner. That rewards you for having priority that, that, that wants you to do a bunch of specific things and then rewards you for that. Right. And Galactus is the one context in which it actually turns into old arrow and old leader mm -hmm. in all the priority decks. It's worse than those cards were by a shitload. Right. But in specifically Galactus, it turns into, oh, the game is deterministically over. Goodbye. <laughs> like the game is actually deterministically over. And I think my personal take is they should avoid that. You think, uh, they should avoid situations where the game is deterministically over. They should they should not do that, right? And Elias' specific interaction with Galactus, which is Galactus only works if you have priority, so if you Galactus, you're going to be able to Elias them, and then the game is over. It's... Uh, exactly what they don't want out of a card with a line. Mm -hmm. What they want is what's happening in the brood deck, in the move deck, in Haivo. That's what they want Eliath to be. Yeah, so they do not want Eliath to be old leader and old arrow. And the only situation in which it actually is old leader and old arrow is in Galactus. And that is a problem that Galactus will continue to create. So you think, uh, do you think that 
<clears throat> second dinner should balance cards in a way or have the cards in Marvel Snap should exist in a way that they give the opposing player the illusion that they always have the possibility to win, even if that opposing player is drastically misinformed on the stake or the current probabilities it's, of their winning. I mean, yes. So, oh, oh, no, 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 hold on. It's not an illusion. But yes, there should be, you know, oh, well, if they play Null, I can Rogue. If I can play Shang-Chi, right? Galactus's priority used to be a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. That is like, that was how you would counterplay Galactus after he went off, was you would be able to Shang-Chi the Death and the Null, or Rogue the Null, or whatever. And that is cool and good. And now, with Elioth, there is nothing. It is gone, it is dead. There is nothing you can do. And I think generally they should avoid situations where there is nothing you can do. Like, especially when the way in which there is nothing you can do is not, oh, I got invalidated by a large amount of points. Mm -hmm. It's there is literally nothing you can None of what you did is a thing. So in what sense is Elioth not, do you feel like Elioth is not the toxic card here in a sense? I, I know that, yes, I know I that the, the true culprit is Galactus. Um, I do. I do feel like Elioth is not the toxic card here. Mm -hmm. I feel like I totally understand what they were going for with him. They wanted a bad version of Old Leader and Old Arrow, and he is a bad version of Old Leader and Old Arrow in every context except Galactus. In the Galactus context, he is exactly Old Leader and Old Arrow, which is to say, the game is over and none of what you play matters. Yeah, I think that there's all there's some other deterministic game overs that exist in Snap, which have also been nerfed and somewhat mitigated, which was like the Spider-Man absorbing man kind of stuff like double lock both lanes. Yeah. Professor yeah, Spider-Man absorbing man. Like, yeah, they hate that stuff. <laughs> like they even cited Professor X Thanos being the dominant Thanos deck is like, all right, we might have to do something about Thanos, right? Like they do not like that. And they should not like that. They would much prefer you don't matter. Like, they would much prefer that your gameplay doesn't matter because your opponent popped off with a living tribunal than they would that your gameplay doesn't matter because you cannot play cards. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, that's, that's like, that's definitely like there. And I know, I think a lot of people that are listening to this are going to really disagree with that because they're sickos. Good players love cards that win, Ugh. right? And good players get lo love feeling smart because they're not the person going for the big Timmy numbers play, right? Oh, I, I won by three. That makes me smart. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> but like, I, I, I feel like there are going to be a lot of people who disagree with that take, but like they should absolutely avoid that situation. Yes. Mm. I think the, I think they should just keep, keep taking points off Galactus. I think make him a six zero. Keep doing it. Like, I don't I just don't think he's ever going to provide a an experience people actually want to participate in in this game. It's interesting. I don't think anybody would really disagree with that. It's like a core tenet of game design that you don't want to put players in a position where they can't play their cards. It's like one of the main yeah. it's one of the main things you design around. Um it's like Mana Screw and and Imagine the Gathering is seen as a a flaw of design, not not a perk. Mm -hmm. Um you want Mana Screw actually is a perk for whatever it's worth. But like, yeah. like, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going to interrupt you here. I feel like such an asshole. Manister is actually a huge perk because it lets magic games have different textures. Mm -hmm. And because magic isn't a digital game. So it, it, it allows games of the same matchup to play out different ways. So I mana screw actually mana screw mana flood, huge perks. Uh, 
legitimately genius stuff, especially when you consider that it was 1993. Uh, Very, 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 very goddamn smart. Does that apply to Uh, Ensnaring Bridge, Chalice of the Void, Trinosphere, etc.? Like, all of these cards... It does not! Those (laughs) batshit sucks! (laughs) (laughs) So that's the thing, it's like, cards... Magic embraces it to an extent, and and they're one of the games that have the most of it. I know Yu-Gi-Oh! has a lot of it as well, but cards that don't let Mm -hmm. your opponent play the game, um, I think it takes it's weird because it's like is it more timmy to want to play those cards or is it more timmy i think it's actually more timmy to get really irritated by those cards rather than just accept it something because the thing is is it like i would would agree timmy's tend to they tend to find solace in games where they are 99 percent to lose rather when they're actually 100 percent. when truly it's it's, they're pretty close to each other um and it shouldn't really matter but games where you literally can't do anything that's what really upsets the timmies and i think that yes and it should it should it It should it's 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 actually bad game design to an extent you know like players not being able to play the game and having feels bad you're like ah i would love to play the game ah well here's my card that says you cannot play the game the counterpoint is is like let's say an opponent with like a bad deck like a series one just like hodgepodge of cars and you have like mm-hmm. um i don't know pre-nerf bounce deck shuri deck or whatever they're still probably right. and at one point they're like 99 yeah. percent to lose but they feel like they're in the game they feel well, like they i mean they're, cards. they're 99 percent to lose but you're playing the same game mm-hmm. you're playing marvel snap you're putting points on three locations they understand what's going on right Galactus isn't that. You're playing Marvel Galactus. But, it's a different yeah, game. It's very much, yeah, and it's also very much in your face that, like, hey, you lose. <laughs> and the game, that you can yeah. still progress to the turns, but hey, you lose. All right, Kitty Pride, 1 yeah. 2 to 1 0. What do you think? Fuck! I know. Fuck! I know. I'm so mad. Like, they got. God! After we get like the cool the variant. I, I love her. What the hell? I love her so much. She's probably my favorite card in the game. Uh, I also love Kitty Pride. Stop. Stop it. Stop it. Nah, I understand why they did this. Like, I, I I love her to death, but I get it. One thing that I mean, like, this is very clearly a preemptive Elsa Bloodstone thing. It's just like, all right, we're going to we're going to hit this now. So we don't do we don't have Elsa Bloodstone running absolutely buck wild here. It's basically like if they nerfed the collector before Loki came out, which I actually think is probably like, you know, if you're going to do it anyway, you might as well just do it. Might as well just get it done. All right. Just go ahead and. Go ahead and make it happen. Uh, so I I feel like, you know what, it, it was probably likely that they would do something like this anyway. So just just fine. I'll live. It's fine. My girl's sad, but hopefully I'll be. But it does actually mean that like basting her is good again. So that, that's mm. nice. yeah, true, true. Basting her. Yeah, basting her early. You do get more value. Um, definitely still <laughs> still a nerf overall but kitty pride has been a troublesome card for them i mean it has gone through multiple rounds of nerfs also of course the rework initially which is dude i, I wonder if there's anybody that hasn't that played with slap since then they don't dude, know about that i oh my god dude we got i, I we, had her in thanos lockjaw yes. before that rework for two days it was the best deck i ever played people don't remember this because she worked through wave yep she was just so like you'd be able to just play her for one after a wave it's just the most dumbass shit i'd ever seen and that was when she got two, right? She was like a one, two plus two. Oh, so yeah. she'd be like a oh, one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. She'd be like a one ten or some shit after a wave. So you'd go like wave into kitty arrow. It was just, just heinous. It was heinous. Yeah. Um, for those 
I don't know if there's anybody listening to this podcast that has played that wasn't playing back when Kitty Five was first released, but basically the timeline oh goes God. that we as a community were introduced to most powerful probably the most powerful card we had seen since then. And then they yes. promptly removed it due to issues. They removed it in like two days. Yeah. I had like a ninety something percent win rate. <laughs> got rid of her on the season of hit monkey by the way so obviously synergizes well with hit monkey so now you had this like hit this hit monkey season pass card it's like wow if we had kitty prize pretty good anyway on the snow guard um the bird and the bear here have gone up in a in a cost so two three on the bird to three three and two three on the uh the bear to three four oh we got an increase in power on the bear as well uh what are your thoughts cam yeah I don't get this one. This one doesn't make sense to me. Like uh, my thought process is, oh, these are only seeing play in Loki. So what now you make it so they can again only see play in Loki. I I feel like this is the actual downside. We talked to Glenn about this. Mm -hmm. I I think I don't know. God, I can't actually remember if we talked to him about it. I have long suspected that their balance strategy. I think this one might have been on my YouTube channel where I Mm -hmm. talked about like how the balance strategy that he tends to prefer, or at least that it seems like he tends to prefer is to chop the bottom off of stuff, leave the high rolls in there, but make the low rolls happen more Mm -hmm. or be more prominent. Right. And the, the issue with that type of balancing is that it makes it so certain cards that were able to be crossover archetype players are now only able to be played in that major that major big archetypes deck, right? So this card went from being able to be played outside of Loki decks to like kind of only being playable in Loki. Collector went from being able to be played outside of Loki decks some of the time to kind of only being playable in Loki. When you chop the bottom off of something, you make it so you can only run it in the decks that super high roll, right? You can't run it in other stuff now. And I think that's something that I am going to try to keep an eye on in the future mm-hmm. because I, I I don't know how widespread this perception is, but it's definitely something I've been thinking about where it's like they do this a lot where they instead of hitting the key piece to an archetype because they don't want people to feel bad about investing in that archetype, they hit some of the supplementary pieces in a way that makes it so they can only be run in that archetype. Interesting. Yeah, I'm trying to. Th- I'm thinking back in terms of nerfs, and I think that for the most part, that's correct. I'm trying to think about the exceptions to that, where we've seen some key cards yeah. get hit, but I think they've been hit after supporting pieces were hit, right? So I'm thinking yes. about cards like, like Zabu. What they do? Yes, they hit like supporting pieces, and then they like do so in a way that takes away the hot, that takes away the low, that, that adds more low rolls. Usually mm-hmm. is how they do it. Yeah. So that and that usually means that you can only run these things in those decks now because you can't count on them to be good outside of their high roll thing. So you can only run them in the situation where they high roll. Yeah. All right. We had Psylocke and Squirrel Girl. Psylocke went from a 2-1 to 2-2, two, two, Squirrel Girl 1-1 one, one to 1-2. One, Anything to say about these? Does this, does this change sort of the way these cards uh, are played? Psylocke change underrated, okay. actually. Why is that? Psylocke change underrated. I mean, it just is, right? Like, Psylocke's a card that you couldn't run a lot because she was embarrassing, but now she is slightly less embarrassing. That's yeah. just an underrated change, right? Like, it matters. Yeah. Uh, you were definitely and, a Psylocke hater. I think I remember at Cam's statement, like, anytime I see a deck list with Psylocke in it, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm skeptical. And the only time I was wrong about that was specifically W Thanos, which ran 
fucking five five drops yep. which is just like you thanos you don't get to be like oh cam you were so wrong because a thanos deck was good shut up <laughs> uh but like yeah no, no no like that deck that deck actually did one psylocke and i i would almost be interested in trying it again but it's just like i am so out on thanos it's actually kind of insane <laughs> at this point like they they killed it so bad. Like you'll play a Thanos and they'll play uh, a Soul Stone on one, and you'll just be like, "Oh, you poor baby! Mm. <laughs> you actually just played that card, and it didn't draw you a card. God, what must it be like to be you right now? Uh, please revert that, Glenn. I miss Thanos. Yeah. Um, I wonder if I everybody misses Thanos. I don't. I don't miss Lockdown, but I do miss. I do miss Thanos. I think that that's one of the coolest cards yeah. in the game. It is. It's just a cool card. It does a lot of stuff. I will say with the Psylocke buff, if they did revert Thanos, it probably would be a Professor X deck, so maybe don't. But I just I just wish Thanos was allowed to be around again, and maybe they should do something about Professor X, perhaps. Yeah. People really hate Galactus, but I don't hear enough said about Pro- Professor X is like, well, like kind of. It's he was the OG. Yeah, I remember. I remember Jeff Hoagland. I, I, this is this this is burned in my memory because I thought it was extremely funny. Someone asked him like what card he hated the most, and he was like, "Oh, dude, Professor X. It has to be Professor X." If you asked a Magic player to design a Marvel Snap card, they would, they would design Professor X. <laughs> yeah. It's like, damn, that's so true. Yeah, if it is you so asked the Spike to make a Marvel Snap card, they would absolutely make <sighs> Professor X. Dude, my evolution in card games and uh, trying to understand that ethos, it's like, uh, it, it took years. Because I remember when I first started playing, I, I was testing for constructed tournaments and fe- Flesh and Blood and stuff. And my friend would always be like, no, 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 like, you don't understand. Like, I, I don't want to play the game. I don't want to interact. I'm like, why the fuck? would you play the game like that sounds terrible <laughs> he's like no, no no i don't want my opponent to do anything i was like what are we doing here but like it's that is the spike mindset this is like they just want to win uh they want their opponent to lose in the most miserable way possible i think as well i think that's a bonus it's not about it being miserable it's about it being effective <laughs> and things that are effective are often miserable <laughs> are anything to say about squirrel girl um uh i mean it could matter yeah, i mean it's also coming out you know it's good sure yeah. why not yeah, plus I mean, it probably actually changes a lot of the dynamics of pool one. One of the things about when I did Twitch Rivals and they had us do the pool one mm-hmm. and two deck, one of the things that consistently caught me off guard was just how big Namor was. Yeah, he said, I just wasn't I wasn't used to that. Like boy. I wasn't used. To, he's too bigger than he was. He's four eleven. He's huge. Right. And I, I just wasn't used to that. And I think though there are going to be some things where it's like I have this assumption of how pool one and two goes because of how it went for me. But it actually is markedly different now after multiple changes to these cards. Mm-hmm. All right. On to the bend and snap, which is our listener question section. Um, if you want to get your question right on the podcast, you can submit it on YouTube in the comments below. Um, this one comes from Damian Morris. It's a bit lengthy, but summing it up basically talks about data integrity in the higher ranks. So filtering by something like infinite mm. rank and how it can be so inaccurate due to the large disparity in player skill in a rank like infinite, especially in Marvel staff. So they point to a previous example in Hearthstone, how legend data wasn't super accurate. How do you feel about that in Marvel Snap when trying to filter through data to sort of extrapolate whatever conclusion you may uh, filtering for something like Infinite Rake? Is it effective or is it sort of negated by how widespread Uh, Infinite is? 
I think it's a little bit negated by how widespread infinite is. At this point, there's about a 5,000 SP spread within mm-hmm. infinite. And that is, can you massive. filter off SP yet? Is that, is that a no, thing? You okay. cannot, not that I'm aware of, uh, whichever website does that first, I will be the one using them. <laughs> um, so one of the things that really sticks out to me is all of the websites are, uh, God, this feels like such an asshole thing. To say. I will, I will, I will clarify. I have a lot of respect for all the people doing data stuff on the back end. This is not a shot at any of them. I use untapped. I use SnapFan. I, I, I use these websites. They all have weird things happening in different ways. Like I have noticed quirks in multi in each unique quirks to the data in multiple of these websites. One of the unique quirks of untapped is that their deck sorting when you sort by deck and you look for like high win rate decks, mm-hmm. there's always Agatha decks in like the top 10. And I have no idea why I, I, I really I, ca- I can't figure out why that is, but they're always there. There's always Agatha decks with a very high win rate and a very low cube rate. And I don't know why that, that I don't understand it at all. It makes no sense to me. I have no idea how that shows up in their data when you look for high win rate decks. Mm. Um, another thing about untapped that's weird that I see people making the mistake of doing is they just look at their tier list. That's stupid. Don't do that. Um, you're like, ah, I look at the tier list, this aggregate, right? But that also relies on them properly sorting things into the places they're supposed to be for the longest time. Their low key category was different from their collector category even though the collector category was all collector Loki decks, right? Like this is just a basic thing, a basic thing where like human error can really influence that, right? Electro ramp and Galactus were pretty much the same damn deck. Like all the electro ramp decks were playing Galactus. If you actually click on the thing, but they were split into two different categories. And one of the things that I remember back in the day from HS replay, which is these are the guys who actually run untapped now was there was this deck in Hearthstone called cube warlock uh, cube lock, right? It was uh, that's what they would do. Yep. And it was there was also a deck at the same time that was like control warlock. And so one of the things that would happen with their data was the cube warlock deck was defined by cards like skull of Gul'dan, defined by cards like the cube itself. And what would happen is cube warlock decks with bad draws would get sorted into control warlock because it didn't see them play Skull of Gul'dan or the cube, which are the good cards in the deck. And so they'd get sorted into control warlock, which would have a lower win rate because control warlock was just that deck without the cube. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it, like, it's just this very there's this, this it's, it's hard. It's a hard job. And so I think my methodology for it is I just look for high win rate decks that look interesting Mm -hmm. and I look for the patterns within them. Uh, So like if there's like one Thanos deck with like a 57% win rate, but every other Thanos deck is like 52, I'm going to be like, all right, that's probably not really what's going on here. That's probably just like someone on a heater, right? If there's like a bunch of the same or similar decks in the top, uh like 10 decks in infinite or whatever right if there's like a bunch of like move decks or brood decks or shuri decks or whatever it's like okay that's like a reasonable indicator to me 
But I think the more important thing is to understand that this stuff is just indicators. Never, under any circumstances, should you come to me and say, this deck is good because X number is on untapped. Ever. That is garbage. That is absolutely terrible fucking argument. It is absolutely wildly unconvincing. You could say, uh, even something like, I think this deck has a real place in the metagame because of those numbers on untapped. But you need to explain why you think it has a real place in the metagame outside of those numbers on untapped. You need to be able to say, all right, so like, like the, the way I think about it is like, if I want to say I don't agree with the numbers on untapped, I usually have reasons why, right? I think High Evo is overrepresented in terms of untapped win rates because it's very easy to play and because that is going to benefit a lot of the people in the six to 7,000 SP range because a lot of the people they're playing against won't understand how to properly exploit the weaknesses of the deck. That said, at a very high level, it is a fine deck, but you can probably do better, right? And so, and, and if you ask me to like elaborate that, like, what do you mean exploit the weaknesses of the deck? Well, okay, Wave is the most defining card of the deck. The whole deck is built around Wave, so you can build to eliminate Wave as an option. Mobius is very good against that deck. Another card that is very good against that deck is Loki on four. Why specifically on four? So you don't get waved. You can play all your cards, right? Like, there is... A lot of consideration for context in that answer, right? Like I'm talking about specifics. If you come to me and you say, I think Hayu is the best deck in the game, look at the numbers on untapped. I will tell you, hey, look at those Agatha numbers. Do you think Agatha is the best deck in the game? Like <laughs> there, there's just it's just not a complete argument. It is a point but it is not a complete one. And I, I feel like it's it's almost like a thought terminator, right? Like where it's just like, oh, I don't have to think about this, but you, you, actually, you actually do because until we have data, and I don't think we ever will, mm. that is sincerely indicative of things, I, I just don't, I, I think the best you can do is try to look at it and explain it mm. rather than cite it as, you know, fact. That data is super interesting, <clears throat> especially big data and how, how I guess murky it can get. So, uh, this is this isn't big data, but Lorcana has a digital emulator which they actually publish the data um, week by week, and there's you know close to I think it's a few hundred thousand games played, close to a million games played, and basically all the color combinations. There's six colors in Lorcana are fifty percent win rate basically uh, within a standard deviation of one percent. Which is okay. crazy. <laughs> that that's insane. So it's obviously it's taking a wide range of ranks, wide range of player skill. But that's exactly what's happening. Is like it's taking every single game and every single player. And while that the, the that is the win rate that is published of all these decks, like that is not actually the meta whatsoever. It, it's actually probably the most unclear and it's probably less accurate. Less, right? It's it, actually it's not helping. You. Less accurate than anything. Like any even yeah. even an anecdotal takeaway from a single game. Like it, it is the yeah. most. <laughs> accurate um the game is balanced to an extent that like that might exist like day one two people pick up a deck learn the rules in five minutes and play them against each other like yeah maybe you might get close to that data but you go to a major tournament or you know any kind of tournament it's like vastly different from that and it's just interesting to see how that plays out um because like you talked about 
in Hearthstone, which I mean, HS Replay really, I mean, they really got that algorithm they're, down. Like, I feel like the thing is, like, they're, they're really standard. good at their jobs. Yeah. They're really like, I don't want this to sound like I'm shitting on HS Replay or the Untapped. Like, they're the same people for the record. They're amazing. They are by far the people I would trust the most. And this is as far as I trust them, right? Mm. Like, <laughs> this is the thing, right? Speaking of which, I mentioned, I was going to mention stuff about the other ones, right? Uh, Snap fans, number one quirk is that their tracker data is such that you will often, if you sort decks by like what wins the most against this deck, you will see that the mirror has like a 43% win rate against itself. Uh, that's Snap fans big quirk. That one happens a lot because there's like a bias in who downloads a tracker, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So the better players are more likely to download a tracker because they're the people who are going to take the game more seriously and by and large over a large enough sample size, the people who take the game more seriously end up being a little bit better. And so they end up having a higher mirror win rate. And so you get stuff like, well, uh, this deck is 50 is 45% into the mirror. <laughs> it's like that. That's, that's not possible. That's not an actual thing that can happen. And like, like uh, this, this is like I, I like the Snap Fan people. They've been very kind to me. I've been, I, I use their website for stuff like this. Again, these are very smart people who are very good at their jobs, and it's like this is still there because it's hard to do. It's really, it's a really hard job. There's a lot of nuance. It's a, and it's like how do you, yes. how do you segregate the data to an to an extent to where you can actually draw extrapolations that are representative yes of whatever sort of picture you're trying to paint i think that that's a shift that's here's, a sliding another, scale and here, you can sort of you here's another one with untapped that fucking kills me <laughs> they have uh like their their things like 200 is their sample size and it's like below 200 sample numbers might be inaccurate right 200 is their sample size but it's also their sample size for conquest mm. why why is it the same sample size necessary for Conquest and Ladder when Conquest is actually like a much more in-depth thing that is much like wh- why? Why is it 200? I, I just I've always wanted to know. How is it possible that you need the same sample size for games of Conquest and for games of Ladder? How do you why? I don't understand. Just a lack of probably I, a lack of nuance on the uh... yeah like it's just, it's just one of those again like these are the people these, like I don't think it's doing a disservice to Snapfan or Snapzone to say that Untapped is the industry standard and they're the industry standards and there's still this stuff going on where it's like why is Agatha here yeah why why are those the thresholds I don't know I don't know I, I like I actually don't know maybe there's a good reason I don't know maybe we should we should, we should maybe reach out. You know, we should write, we should reach out to Tiago. Yeah, get him on the podcast. We should reach like, out to Tiago. Answer, hey, Tiago. Agatha. Can you explain explain just two hours of Agatha? <laughs> no, I think that hey, we probably should reach out to Tiago. Actually, I, uh, again, like I, I like I I I worry sometimes that I am too honest about this stuff and that it will impact my relationships with these people. And I really hope that it doesn't because I have the utmost expect for uh, respect for Tiago for sank over at snap fan uh like they they are they have been very kind to me in the past and i understand that it is a very tough job to do what i'm specifically getting at here is if you show up and try to use these numbers as the totality of your argument i will think you don't know what the fuck you're talking about that's where i'm at like that's what i'm getting at specifically it's not like they're bad necessarily, but they cannot be the totality of your argument without you being kind of an idiot. 
my takeaway and conclusion would be that data is and data from these websites is a tool for you to reach a conclusion. They are not the conclusion in and mm-hmm. of themselves, which is what they sometimes yes. present themselves to be, right? Because that's what some of this metadata looks like on at least that's what it yeah. looks like at first, right? But you need to use it as a tool to reach your own conclusions. All right. Yes. La- uh sort of last minute staff. That question. was a much nicer way of saying it. <laughs> That's because, I, yeah, that's a, that's what I meant. That's, that's what right. I meant. What he said. I took it. I yeah, no, like it's like you. if you if you if you if yeah, you said it, but you said it much nicer. It's like I need to. I actually do need to learn to do that because like I worry about. I worry about not necessarily because like I think a lot of people who are rude tend to be like, oh, I'm too honest, and I worry I'm doing that right. Like, oh, I'm just too honest. But like, I could have found a nicer way to say that, and I think the way you said it is a much nicer way to say that. Like these data websites, they point you in a direction but they are not the conclusion. And if you're treating them as the conclusion, you're making a mistake. All right. Next Ben and Snap question comes from me. Um, do you think oh, that 315 for one is a mid-level bench? Yes. So do I. Yeah. <laughs> this is like, <laughs> there's a lot of people. Uh, so someone was telling me that it isn't. And, you know, I think if you took the whole, the sample size of the entire human population. Yeah. In it's reality, not- <laughs> it's like 99th percentile or yeah. something. But yes, I would consider that. This a is like, this is like a funny combo that I don't know why it came up at a camp one time, but apparently this is a combo people have. And it's like a very hot topic because, you know, I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a lot of weight, but it's kind of a meme to call three fifteen for one a mid level bench. But I genuinely think it is. No, I yeah, I would I would call it that. Is that what you do? No, um, I rep like two thirty five, two forty five. So three fifteen for one is okay. not too out of my range. I honestly don't do the for ones anymore though because I work out alone. So like, I yeah, I have I have not gone for a one rep max in yeah probably five years. six years. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, hey. Is there a reason to to get? Yeah, a, it's it's fucking awesome. Yeah, except for that. <laughs> it's, what? it's fucking awesome. Okay, That's the reason. You're almost 30 years old. You work out by yourself. Like, what, I the, am 30 years okay. old. <laughs> well, well, then what's the... I am 30 years old with arguably two bad shoulders. <laughs> yeah, so there there is... I mean, how many Lambies did you bench, was it? I did three Lambies for three. Oh, damn, yeah. It was like 385. 385, yeah. Yeah, this there's no. I think at this stage, it my, used to be no higher. Get, my my max ever is four sixty five. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. That's not. I don't think see, I can do that. That's anymore. not a mid level bench. No, it gets it gets. I don't it, think it, I can do that. It gets anymore. exponential as you start to get up there. It's not like a linear curve on the weight. It's no. It's really not. Like once you get four plates on there, it's immediately elite. Some people right? for <laughs> some people that's three plates. For some people that's two plates. But you will hit a threshold in which that the difficulty goes exponential or parabolic. It is- okay, so once you start going to the gym, that's the moment you become forever small because whatever you can do it, it if you can do it, it's obviously not that good, right? Uh, like like I would never be part of any club that would accept me as a member, right? I remember when hitting one plate was something I couldn't do. Mm-hmm. I remember when hitting two plates was something I couldn't do. I remember when hitting three plates was something I couldn't do. I remember when hitting four plates was something I couldn't do, and it might actually be something I can't do again. I'm not actually sure. I think I probably could, but I think I wouldn't want to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I, I remember all of that, right? And as soon as you hit it, you're like, oh, that that's that's terrible. That's not worth it. <laughs> that's that's that. Oh, yeah, that, 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 ah, there's some yeah. there's some deeper psychological issues that are going along with that. Uh, that <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's that's where I, that's what I'm getting at. Right. Like a lot of people like you start going to the gym because you don't like who you are. 
right? Like a lot of people, that's why you start going to the gym. You don't like who you are. And so if you don't change that, nothing you do in the gym is ever going to be good enough for you because you don't like who you are. Mm. I feel like a funny paradigm with the, the gym. And this is, I know we're off topic. We'll get back on. I promise soon. Um, is that initially you go for a certain result, an aesthetic, a number, whether it's a, a lift or, you know, some sort of physique you're going for. But then as the years kind of go on, you literally just go to go and the actual results yeah. just don't matter at all. <laughs> it's weird. It's like no. the, the actual the actual suffering of the act becomes the pleasure in and of itself, which is when you reach like the nirvana of exercise i think i don't know it just becomes routine and that's why that's why having awesome. having a home gym is so weird because i'll like take pre-workout and go to <laughs> bench and then just like go watch tv for 30 minutes and then go do another set it's just like what what is this what is this habit like i'm just watching like bird notice or whatever repping 315 the like the, uh what am i doing like, the beta is alanine not, is making you feel like your, your face is like uh you know has ants on it or something yeah <laughs> this is not going to the gym anymore. This is like I'm 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 doing I'm relaxing. I'm just literally fucking around. Uh, it's all a whole nother conversation of like um we will not get into it, I promise. But it's like uh the okay. most effective way of lifting, like it, you know, a lot of people turn uh weightlifting into a cardio exercise and it's like, is it the actual effective way of doing it? you know, lifting hard, sweating a lot? It's like or is it this sort of paced out um you know, a lot of rest? Yeah, multiple rest days in the week, etc. I know that people are pretty split on that. I don't even know what the science says. To be honest. Anyway, back to Marvel Snap. Back to Marvel Snap. Back to Marvel Snap. Elsa Bloodstone, 2-2. Two, two. If you play another card to fill a location, give it plus three power. You said this is a card you're excited about. Explain to me why. Yeah, she's like a she's like a two-eight, at least. <laughs> like that's a that's a pretty big stat line here. Like she's not gonna be broken the same way like Loki is broken, but mm. she's just like that those numbers aren't right. Those are those numbers are too big for that card, right? Why is she a two two? If like, first of all, she could be a two zero, and we'd still try to build around her. But at two two, it's like, all right, well, if you fill two lanes up, she's a two eight. If this is a one, how easy is it to fill two lanes up? Relatively, it's easy. extremely easy yeah. to fill two lanes up, right? Like, if, think about like this is this is the real comp. Compare her to Dazzler, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, what the fuck are they doing? <laughs> That's if this was a one cost, would it be worse? Because you get Killmonger, right? Like, what? What is that's the- exactly what I was thinking. It's like, like, yeah, you you would die to Killmonger, yeah. but you could play it on the final turn of the game. True, true, true. Yeah, with that, a bunch of stuff. Yeah, that is a paradigm of one cost cards in this game. <laughs> you don't play them on turn one sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I I don't know. That's actually an interesting question. Two eight is uh, that's a good stat line, and I think that if your deck is built to fill lanes, you will fill lanes. Obviously. Yep. Yeah, that's. It seems like a very powerful card. I don't know. What do you think? It's and like the two eight is like what I would consider the floor of any deck that would run. Yeah. Out. What's if she's a two eight? And just like is the litmus test is like can you outpoint slam Sherry? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much it, right? Like, and and bounce has shown an ability to do that previously, right? Like bounce has shown an ability to do that. Uh, what about brood though? Mm. Like, what about what about what about you're a brood deck, and you use Elsa as like your method of okay well they sure eat my brood lane but i get like an elsa i get like a silver surfer i get like a patriot and now i can beat that red skull man because like like that that that's always the litmus test when yeah. it comes to shuri is can you flip the red skull lane right are you able to flip the red skull lane 
is has has been the way to beat that deck forever, right? I remember playing Gunny Patriot mm -hmm. to flip the Red Skull Lane. Like that's what you do. That's how you beat the deck is you flip the Red Skull Lane and then they just absolutely roll over. And if you can do that, if Elsa lets you do that, that's actually suddenly quite interesting, right? You put a Patriot in the lane with the Broods and then you Silver Surfer, that adds eight. The Patriot itself is adding at least five, right? Because two Broods plus the Patriot itself. And so suddenly you've added just like 13 power to that lane. That seems pretty compelling for like a final, like, like, that's like, okay, like that's, you want like uh, Forge Brood Abs, and then your turn five is like Elsa Patriot, and it's like, oh shit, that's a lot of points. That's a whole lot of points. It yeah. might like it's 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 definitely some interesting things going on there. I really hope Bounce is good again. I love that deck. That deck is so fun to play. Um, I worry actually that Bounce might be too good because now that like, what are you supposed to do to beat it? We're gonna go back to. Here, here's the actual like like what what are you supposed to do to beat that though? Shadow King. Yeah, if you don't have priority. Shadow King. Shadow they, King. We, I mean, bounce is already Shadow King hits a lot so in bounce. It hits a lot in bounce. So that's the thing. It's like I mean yeah. I don't I don't think Shadow King is the answer. Don't get me wrong, but like it is a good card against bounce, and it does it, priority is not so okay. Important. So bounce runs loot cage now. We did it. All right. Fuck you. <laughs> like, like it's not actually that hard to beat, is it? Right? No, no, like, no. it's more of a, it's more of a surprise cage, tech card, right? Yeah, like between loot cage and like uh, Mobius, there's like a lot of the things that are supposed to be bounce probably don't anymore. That's my favorite thing about bounce is all the things that people think beats bounce beat bounce don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's fun to yeah. play. All right. Yeah. Uh, man thing. Four, five, ongoing. One, two, and three cost cards here have minus two power. Um, this card's underrated. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So when I first saw this, I was like, is this card playable? But if you hit one card and you have sort of the agency it's to a do four, that. four, seven. Yeah, four, seven. That's a good yeah. stat line. Decent stat line. Four, nine is great. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine a bounce deck, right? This this, this just reads you're, you lose. Mm. Whole deck. Whole deck off. Right? Like... You put that in a you put that in a lane. Everything in it it gets minus. Yeah. Again, you know, Luke Cage might be a little pretty, pretty important True. in those decks. Yeah, Who I mean, knows? Luke Cage is now this, the like, equity of Luke Cage goes way up. Luke, yeah. the equity of Luke Cage is like no, this card is underrated. This is a big fucking guy. I actually, I actually, legitimately think this is a pretty solid card. Mm, okay. Especially like this is a card that Zabu really likes because you'd be yeah. playing so many fours in that deck. And so you just get to be like, yo, this man thing, it's like a four eleven or something. <laughs> we're just gonna we're just gonna slam this guy down. And I think it's also a card that adds uh some interesting dynamics. And I think most importantly, it has the coolest damn variant in the game. Uh that, that comic book variant I haven't where it's seen the it. cover. Oh my god, it's so good. What do you think about uh tangent? What do you think about all those new variants? Forget the name of them that are coming to snap the The Midnight Suns yeah, ones? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they're great. I like them. But uh, honestly, I think they take their subject matter so seriously that I like them less than other people. But at least if they're going to take their subject matter seriously, they do so in a way that is not. There's something about taking your subject matter seriously with an engraving as opposed to taking your subject matter seriously by drawing it photorealistically that I do prefer, where it's still a little stylized. That makes me like the Midnight Suns. Mm. <laughs> that makes me like the Midnight Suns one a little bit more than say like an Archer. 
I think I'll, yeah, I, I was thinking about it because I've definitely been buying less variants recently. I don't know. I don't, mm-hmm. know. I don't know if it's just like the progression of you, a, a player in Marvel Snap, or if I just kind of came off of it. But I do like my chibi collection, my chibi baby collection, because of its mm-hmm. its lack of seriousness. And I just think it's hilarious to beat people with that. <laughs> Black Knight, one, two. After you discard a card, add the Ebony Blade to your hand with that card's power once per game. Ebony Blade is a 4-0, so 4X on what you discard. What are your thoughts on on Black Knight? I'm really interested in, you know, various infinite yeah, bullshit right? that, things. That's, 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 that's the thing. Right? Like, that's, yeah, infinite. I'm interested. I'm interested in whatever dumb infinite bullshit I can pull off with this. Yeah, you just like lady it's, lady uh, sis the infinite and yeah. Yeah. It's Yeah, no, I think it's pretty I think it's pretty fun, right? Like there's there's probably some cool stuff that can be done with this guy. High variance, and, I think, but really like yeah. the, the the curve is super clean, right? We do this on one. You have to run Chavez in this deck. You yeah, are yeah. legally obligated to run Chavez in this deck because of how obviously you need this card early. Yeah, so you just black. I mean, you black knight. You do whatever you want to do on two. You lay Sif on three, and then you basically play a four twenty. <laughs> it's like yeah, sick. Plays <laughs> it. <laughs> you go like four. You go. You go. You go four twenty into five twenty. Tag Taskmaster. True. Blaze it. That it, is just some. You just blaze it. That's going to be a nice little high variance deck. People like to yeah. bust itself. I mean, that's the kind of deck that actually loses to Shang-Chi, though. <laughs> that kind of deck just gets Mondo rolled. That deck's but it, top it does end it. is. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's priority based on Taskmaster, but the yeah. top end is Null or something now. It's just like just preparing to get <laughs> Shang-Chi'd. <laughs> He's Null 620. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But like that, there is that is definitely like, oh. Okay, that's that's a, a game plan. I'm happy to experiment with whatever kind of garbage comes out of that. That sounds awesome. I don't know if it's going to be very good, but it is very high power. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's consistently good, but yeah. when it works, it works. I think that is a perfect way to describe it. <laughs> it it's like the fact, uh, the weird thing about this card, or the interesting thing is like it is just generously costed on the curve in which you would want to play this with ebony blade being a four cost like that yeah. just it just works out real nice <laughs> you're just going to curve right into whatever you need if you draw the cards all right nico minoru minoru dude she does so many things i know is this the coolest like, card I- in marvel snap to ever be printed it's and it's it's up for debate, right? There's a lot of cool cards in Snap. You know, Galactus is a thing. We all love Galact now. <laughs> you want to know you want to know my thought process on this card mm. is like there's at least two of them that I think at least one of them. I think it definitely sucks, right? Mm-hmm. Are you going to read all of them? Yeah, I'll probably read all of them. OK, I'll, go I'll, ahead. I'll, I'm just going to I'm going to go through it. <laughs> all right. So, OK, so Nico um, is a one two. It says on reveal after you play your next card, cast a spell. The spell changes each turn after you play your next card, cast a spell. OK, yeah. So in those spells can be a mirror out of things. I'm going to read them off so it can change to on reveal after you play your next card. Uh, it becomes a demon, which is a 1-6. On reveal, after you play your next card, destroy it and draw two cards. As you play your next card, move it one location to the right. After you play your next card, give it plus two power. After you play your next card, replace that card's location. After you play your next card, add a copy of it to your hand. And after you play your next card, double this card's power. Your thoughts? I feel like it has to be good because it does so many things. This is like this- they're like we've we, we've seen with like Snowguard and Legion mm-hmm. that the more things you do, 
the better a better player can use you. And she does so many things. She, there's, she does so much. There's so many things that she does. But I do worry that none of them are particularly high impact. But she does a lot of stuff, right? She's like a toolbox, but also they're not very high impact. How does this card work with so you play this on one and then the next card is just casting one of these random spells and the only way you can sort of no no you know you know what her text is yeah you know what her text is but the only way you can not trigger that text and get a reroll on the text is if you skip your turn right i don't think you can get a reroll on the text so i the think she locks it in when you play her it says the spell changes each turn I wonder, actually. That's a good question. I thought she locked in when you played her. Okay, so that's what... That, I got this from Marvel Snapson, so that's where I got the text. Says, on reveal, after you play your next card, cast a spell. In, in, in parentheses, the spell changes each turn. So I'm assuming you can skip your turn. Interesting. And then change that. Which adds more modality yeah. to the card. Makes it potential. It does. But you can't skip your turn and snap unless you're... I mean... You can. Sunspot. Right? Sunspot. Like, good. So you're playing this on turn two. I mean, this card is really cool. I don't know. This is the kind of card that that uh second dinner sh these are the kind of cards that second dinner should be designing um in a digital game like marvel snap where so much kind of you think so yeah i think it's really interesting like you I can't actually, get this experience i actually think she's too complex okay that's possible i mean but i actually think it's just like this is this is like are, are people really going to be excited about that i'm hyped. like is, are they going to be uh, like okay are non-sickos really mm -hmm. going to be excited about that like are you like who are you getting excited for with modality like like, I, I don't know. One of the things about Loki that I do think they deserve kudos on is they printed a very powerful card that just reads very simply. Yeah, play your opponent's deck like, for cheaper. <laughs> yeah, play your opponent's deck better. That's the card. <laughs> like, it, and I, I always think about complexity creep killing games rather than power creep. Because, like, I'll look at Yu-Gi-Oh! And, you know, obviously it's power creep to shit. It's just like, I don't know what the fuck is going on. There's too much words. There's too many words on these cards. I mean, Yu-Gi-Oh! And is so like a the... card like Nico, it feels it feels like that a little bit to me. Yu-Gi-Oh! is like the... It's actually... It's it's a good game. But, like, it is like the premier shit show of some, sh shit show of so many things you shouldn't be doing yes. in game design. It's like terrible templating, long paragraphs. <laughs> yes. So many cards that say you can't play your cards. And it's like... It, it's, the, it's, it's... It's in a, it's. Uh, there's it's an outlier. It's an so enigma. much. Um, yes. So the reason why, but like, even magic, even magic, like the average text box has gotten longer and longer and longer and longer and longer, right? Yeah. And like you know, the 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 example in magic is like you know, questing beast, right? Which just has like twenty seven abilities and nobody knows what any of them actually are. Mm -hmm. Um. And, and so like Nico, it's like I think she's cool. I just, I. I, I I think maybe seven is too many. <laughs> so uh, like, what if she was less effect? I would draw a parallel, not the questing beast or Yu-Gi-Oh, but towards Yogg-Saron's puzzle box, which I think is a really fun card from Hearthstone. I think this is more similar to that than it is. To no, that's different because Yogg-Saron's puzzle box could be big. None of Nico's stuff is big, right? Like Yogg-Saron's puzzle box has the upside of like this could win me the fucking game right now. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Nico is so marginal. All her stuff is so marginal. It's like little, little bits of stuff. I will say, though, destroy your next card and draw two cards. If she just said that, would she just be the best card in the game? Mm, probably be pretty close, yeah. right? Like, I think I think she would just be like, you'd go like Nico, Bucky, gate game over. 
Uh, like, it would just be like, oh my god, that's insane. I was right? thinking like Dak and like, Nico, Miramasa Shard. Yeah, yeah, but like any of that, she'd just be like hella insane. Yeah, and like that, that ability specifically is so fucked up that I think she probably has to be strong. But like every other ability is like, you know, okay, that's fine. Like that one is so good that the power level on her is like, like I, I, I can't like, good lord. Good lord, that 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 text is very strong when you hit it. Yeah, I think in conclusion, this card is. I'm happy they designed this card. This card makes me excited, and I like to see a card like this. And it will be a good test if the community receives it well. I mean, the card might not be good overall. Uh, I think it will be, but I don't know. If, like maybe yeah. there's a there's current Nico can come out, and there could be a synergistic tier one deck that just is you know can't fit it in there right and it just has a better one drop yeah. and a more synergistic one drop and nico's not an impactful card but this card adds a lot of you know it, it's a toolbox which is cool i don't know how much of a i do toolbox specifically it is, think it's yes. probably good in destroy yeah i don't know how much of a toolbox this card is though because in destroy basically what you're asking yourself is like i'm playing nico to try to get this this upside and then like the floor on all my other stuff is like fine right right but you yeah the floor on all your other stuff is like fine you get uh some location control which you didn't have mm -hmm. you can turn a guy into a demon which you're usually interested in doing right like it's it, think of it like popping the bucky right mm -hmm. that's totally fine right if you like there's just like some interesting stuff that she lets you do like the like her her demon ability and her draw two cards ability are the ones that stand out to me where she's like oh i can see how that's good yeah and the copy is not bad i think that every actually every ability except move to the right is above rate right mm -hmm. so demon one six destroy draw two cards obviously broken move to the right neutral Plus two power, that's a one four. Replaces cards location. I guess that that is also somewhat neutral, but we know why in Legion that can be good. I guess. Well, I guess because you are somewhat manipulating location, you just have like less information, I think. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, add a copy to your hand. That's again, I guess, I guess that that's a two four ish. It's probably more like a two six. I'm not sure. Um, and then double this card's power. It's just a one four. So there's a lot yeah. of reasons why Nico's good. I think it's just above curve on not uh, most of its stuff yeah it's just it's just it's just a good card a lot of the time and then like if you can build to abuse one or two specific ones like if you actually hit that you know nico bucky draw two we're done here <laughs> like, that's yeah, nice that's concession. a completely insane thing to do drawing two cards in a game where there's so little card draw is just ridiculous trying two cards to the upside and, yeah <laughs> yeah, like drawing just drawing two cards, even if you just blow up whatever the other card you're going to play is like just drawing two cards in Marvel Snap is extremely powerful. Yeah. All right. Last one here. Uh, Werewolf by Night 3-3. After you play an on reveal card at another location, move there and gain plus two power. So it's effectively, I don't get this card. Yeah, effectively a 3-5 that moves. Um, it's kind of like a weird. How is it effectively a 3-5? I have to play. Uh, oh, you have to play in on reveal card. So that that probably should have yeah. been that probably should have been in quotations. Uh, I thought that was an yeah. on reveal of this card. So after you play an on reveal no. card at another location, move there and gain plus two power. <clears throat> so like I I you, I don't get it. You're jumping I, people are really high hoops. on this. Really interesting. Yeah, like people are high on this, and it's like it feels. It's the kind of card that you would want in a mid-range deck, right? Where you're going like, uh, I'm going to play like some good stuff and get ahead and then crush you with a right? 
but I'm not understanding how it's ever okay. Here, here, here's the interesting one though. Mm-hmm. What if you go werewolf by night into brood into absorbing man and then just keep moving it around? Right? It's and what if your turn two was Elsa Bloodstone? Actually, how would that work? Does Elsa read play or fill? Just scroll up and see it. Uh, if you play another card to fill Damn a location. Oh, oh, wow. That okay. actually changes so much. Play no, I had, I, had, I had a dream. I had a dream there where it was like Werewolf by Night zooming around the board to fill locations and getting Elsa buffs too. And I, it doesn't work, does it? I don't think it works. That was my dream. So... This isn't a once per game effect. No. So yeah, I mean, this card. I, th- I don't know. I think people are, are validating this card as a like a three seven, right? Where you do this twice over the course of the the game. So, yeah, that, that's not even good though. Well, I was the first to value it as a three five, and I was like, you at this stage of Marvel Snap, you should not be jumping through hoops to get a three five. Like three five is yeah, yeah, it, it comes for yeah. free. And you, I don't even think you should be jumping through hoops to get a three seven. Interesting. We're jumping through hoops for 315s right now, dude. Yeah. yeah Forge Brood. What are we doing here? It seems it, it's not exciting, though. I mean, this card is fine, I guess. It's, it just doesn't get me super excited because um, there's definitely a ceiling on this card, I think. So after you play an unrevealed card at another location, I'm just wondering if you're playing multiple cards a turn and triggering this multiple times in the same turn. If that, but your board clogs up, you're playing bad cards at that point because you're playing under curve, probably. What about like, okay, here, here's a here's a pitch. What about in bounce? What if we do it in bounce? A lot of those cards are on reveals. You can just like move it around the board, get some power. That makes sense. Is that a thing? I'm trying to think about the the rest of the cards that fill up bounce that aren't Kitty Pride, Angela. Um, well, like Beast, Iceman, Bast, Bast Iceman, yeah. For uh, no, not Forge. Sorry, uh, I was thinking of uh, the other the other guy, uh, the Hood, Beast, Iceman, Bast, the Hood. There's a lot of honor reveals. Maybe it goes in bounce. I could see that. That, that kind of makes sense to me. Like, it's a points card. That's the kind of card that deck is interested in. Like it's maybe I don't know. It seems like it would mess up your your beast curve, but maybe it just goes in there as you do some points across the uh, along the way. You go like Elsa into that into like uh, two on reveals and it's suddenly very big. Right. And then you bounce or, it <clears throat> you bounce it back is disgusting, right? <clears throat> you bounce it back yeah. in hand and then you play it on the yeah. final turn with a hit monkey or something. Maybe not hit monkey, but here's a question. Does it happen before the on reveal happens? Uh, does it move before the honor reveal happens or does the honor reveal happen first? It reads like the honor reveal happens first. Okay, so you can't go like Iceman here, Beast here, move the werewolf by night, bounce it back with the beast. You can't do that. Okay, uh, that that was that was what I was trying to cook up there. But like, yeah, no, I think like, okay, you could put it in an Angela lane and then move it out. More, That's at least a use case. Yeah, the more we theorycraft this card, the more I think it'd be good in bounce. I think bouncing is back to hand, and it likes. Let's say you bounce it back yeah. to hand, and it is a two nine. Like that, that's yeah. pretty good. <laughs> and that's then you're big. triggering this again. Um, that's yeah, yeah. Actually, seems pretty good in bounce. Yeah, okay. This the, okay. We we got somewhere with that. Yeah, we got there. All right. Can All right. anything else to close out with before we head out for the week? No. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. I wish you the best of luck on your climbs. Mm. 
yeah, excited for the new season. All right. If you're listening to this mm-hmm. podcast and you want to help us out, the number one thing you can do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you can, if you're listening to this on pod platforms, you go to, you can see a video version of it on YouTube at youtube.com slash at the underscore snapshot. Hit that like and subscribe while you're there. We're all on Twitter, Brendan APG, KM Best MS, and KM your Twitch schedule, sir. For the uh, season. I stream in the evenings. That's my schedule. I stream in the evenings. You think special for the new uh, season? You gonna be doing any kind of like early push? I might I might do an early push. I'm not sure. Okay. Interesting. I'm interested. Do you think so the MMRs like the SPs, those are not going to like how they're gonna reset to some degree. That's why I want to do the early push because I want to figure that out. Okay. Yeah. Great. Well, interested to see how that how that sort of plays out because this is our first reset since uh, since uh, the leaderboard came out. Anyway, yeah, let's get it, baby. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week.